0: Right, good. Well, we are continuing today in our series, On the Road with Jesus, walking through the Gospel of Luke. And we are, as we've just read, in Luke chapter 9, verse 18 through to 27. And so far in this series, we've seen some amazing things, haven't we? We've read some challenging words, but we've seen some phenomenal things as we've kind of walked On this road with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke, we've seen him heal people. More than that, we've seen him raise the dead. We've seen him cleanse those who need cleansing. We've seen him proclaim that people's sins are forgiven, remove people's shame completely. We've seen him bring freedom and invite people to follow him. And all the while, throughout that. Jesus has been proclaiming a message. He's been proclaiming good news to the captives, good news, light to those in darkness, hope to those who are hopeless. He's been proclaiming the kingdom of God as he's gone and, and we've journeyed with him up to this point in chapter 9. But as he's travelled along doing all of these things and as we've followed through, I don't know if you've noticed, but there's been quite a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. We, even actually with his closest followers, with his disciples, they're not quite clear, it seems, at this point, who he is. In fact, no human being at this point in Luke's gospel has actually clearly stated correctly who Jesus is. It's interesting that we've come this far without a clear declaration of of who Jesus really is. We read last week, didn't we, Herod was asking the question, like, who is he? And it seemed that the whole region of Galilee was abuzz with that same question. Is he a a prophet of old? Was he someone come back from the dead? Like, who is Jesus? Actually, even back in chapter 7, John the Baptist His cousin, who baptised him out in the wilderness, actually sent some people to ask him, like, who are you? Are you the the promised Messiah? Like, uh, who who are you? He wasn't even clear. Yet there have been some huge hints, haven't there? You've noticed as we've read these chapters, you kind of think, like, how have people not seen it? I mean, for starters, Jesus' baptism. As he came up out of the water and the heavens... Opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove, and a voice came from heaven in front of all those crowds of people and said, This is my own son, my beloved son. You think, did anyone not kind of grasp it at that point? Yet it seems there was still huge confusion. You think, as Jesus fed the 5,000 and multiplied out of just a few small loaves and fish, enough food made provision for all those people and yet it's like there were still people questioning like who is he maybe he's just a prophet like they hadn't quite grasped it no people yet in Luke's gospel have made a clear statement in fact actually other than the voice from heaven the only other voice we've heard in this chapter who is clearly in this book so far who has clearly recognized who Jesus was was the the legion of demons in the man who met Jesus says he got off the boat, and what, what do you have to do with us? They, they knew who Jesus was. They knew who his, where his authority came from. It's interesting. And so in today's reading, we finally get Jesus ask his disciples a direct question. And we see what their answer is. How do they respond And what implications does that have for their lives, and in turn, ours? Did they know? Had God prepared their eyes to see and their ears to hear? But we've just read. Thankfully, the answer to that is yes. We read from verse 18. Now it happened as he was praying alone, as Jesus, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And we get this kind of confusion that's been going on, this speculation. They say, they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets of old has risen. There's great confusion going on. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. Who do you say I am? This is the most important question. Who do you say Jesus is? It makes all the difference. It doesn't really matter what others say. They've they've just been through it. Like, some people say this, some people say that, some people say the other. We'd read earlier in the chapter last week, Herod was confused, like, maybe he's this, maybe he's that. It doesn't actually really matter what other people say. You might know what other people think. You might not. Maybe your parents, your friends, your colleagues. They might answer in different ways. But in the end, you need to answer this question for yourself. It's imperative that you answer this question for yourself. And the disciples do. And they answer well. Well, Peter answers on their behalf. (laughs) He's the gobby one. (laughs) And he says this. Says you're the Christ of God or, or the Messiah of God. Who's that? The King of Heaven. Come. The long-awaited Messiah, the one who they had been waiting for, who'd been promised who would come and restore right relationship with God. And man, the one who would come and bring about God's kingdom on earth. God in human flesh to restore God's people and as they make this declaration what does Jesus do well firstly he doesn't correct them (laughs) okay the first thing we've got to note is that Jesus doesn't say no 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 you've got it wrong I'm not him you've got it wrong I'm not him no Jesus doesn't do that because that is exactly who he is Now, if you were part of a group of people who had been waiting for hundreds of years for this Messiah, the Christ of God, to come, and the penny finally drops, he's here. Like, we're with him. This is him. He's here. Can you imagine? The excitement. I I mean, like for me, I'm just like, man, you'd be bouncing off the walls, wouldn't you? Like, I can't believe it. Like for hundreds of years, like my parents and their parents and their parents. And we've been waiting for this moment when the Messiah would come. And he's here. And we're with him. Now, We've, we've got to tell everyone. We've got to get the word out. They would have been, like, they would have been ready to go. Wouldn't you? Like, you all seem very unsure about whether you would. Like, I, like, do I have to tease this out anymore? Hundreds of years. Your nation have been waiting for the promised rescuer. We are and he's here. I know you're British. Yes. yes. You might expect there'd be a hurry to let everyone know. Even if you're British, you might expect there'd be a hurry to let everyone know. And instead of sending them out, Jesus does the strangest of things. We read from verse 21, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Think, what? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Can you imagine how they must have felt in that moment of like, what, what, what do you mean tell no one we want to tell everyone and the language used here is is really really strong language jesus rebuked them probably as they were partying getting ready to rush out and tell everyone he orders them in the strongest terms possible do not tell anyone now there would be a time which when we read on in the gospels when jesus actually does tell them to go. In fact, he commands them to go. He commissions them to go. He sends them out to the ends of the earth. And we're in that time now. (laughs) We're supposed to go. But at this moment, Jesus commands them not to breathe a word. Why? It was because they and the rest of their people had entirely the wrong idea about what the Messiah was going to do. Jesus knew that if people... Heard that he was there, that he was the promised Messiah, the Christ of God. He knew that if people heard that, they would try and force him into a military or political kind of assault on the Romans, as it were. They were going to try and take back their land by force, try and overthrow the Roman leadership. He knew that if people heard this, they would try and thrust him into a position of of political leadership, of military leadership. They were going to go and gather the armies, as it were, like, let's go, he's here, he's going to lead us into great victory, let's do it. He doesn't want words to get around, because he doesn't want there to be confusion about what the Messiah is going to do. The expectation was that the Messiah would come from God as a a military commander, a warrior who would throw off their oppressors and who would take over as God's king on the throne. He would get rid of their Roman oppressors and he would be seated on a throne and he would restore Israel and it would be like the golden era when David reigned on the throne it would be like that again. So they thought. And Jesus, we know, will eventually return in glory. And he will sit on the throne forever and rule and reign over his people. Actually, when Christ returns, he will return in glory It will be much more like they were expecting at that point. All other kingdoms, all other rulers, all other authorities, all other powers will bow down before the throne of Christ Jesus. But it wasn't then, and it's not just yet. He makes clear to his disciples that that wasn't going to happen the way they thought at that time and he says this from verse 22 the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised this would have come as a heavy shock to them yeah remember the party atmosphere that was going on jesus rebukes them guys, you've got the wrong end of the stick. And then tells them that he's going to be handed over. He'll be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, those who should have welcomed him with open arms, those who had also been awaiting his arrival and that he'd be killed. And on the third day, raise again. This is the opposite of the kind of, military victory that they were expecting and the people who were supposed to receive him the the scribes and the priests actually were going to reject him and oversee his execution this wasn't a tragic accident though jesus knew it was going to happen in fact jesus says if you read it he says the son of man must suffer Many things. It must happen. Elsewhere we read that he explains that no one takes his life, but he lays it down. He gives it willingly. Dying the death that we deserve so that we might receive life in him. The consistent teaching of scripture is that the penalty of sin is death. It's, It's separation from God, the giver of life. If you reject the giver of life, then what you receive instead is death. That just makes sense, doesn't it? The Bible is clear that the wages of sin is death, yet Jesus came without sin. And he paid the penalty on our behalf. This is how he would conquer. Not the way they were expecting, but what they needed and what we need. The mission would be accomplished, victory won through the the willing substitutionary death of Christ Jesus and his subsequent resurrection, victory over death itself, sin and death defeated, so that we might know forgiveness and new life in Christ. It's amazing, isn't it? So, so far, we know who Jesus is. His disciples declared the Christ, and Jesus doesn't correct them. That's who he is. And we know how he would win victory over sin and death on our behalf, how he would bring about eternal freedom and life everlasting on our behalf. And that being the case, Jesus then goes on to tell his disciples and in turn us how we should respond to that truth. It's like, it's not enough simply to know that to be true. If it's true, it requires a response. So we read from verse 23. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Having declared that Jesus is King, if you've done that. <laughs> Having declared that Jesus is Lord, if, if you've recognised that, if you've done that, if you said, yes, you are the Christ, you are Lord and Saviour. God, in human flesh, come to rescue us, come to restore us. If you believe that, Jesus says... It ought to make a material difference in your life. It is not just a one-off declaration of you're the Christ. But Jesus says, if anyone's going to come after me, if anyone's going to follow me, then this is what it looks like. There's a concrete act of obedience daily. Daily devotion. He says, deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Now notice, it says anyone, Says if anyone is going to. It's not just special cases, not just leaders, not just the ones who were with him there and then, anyone. Anyone who wants to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, Jesus says, must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow him. And the kind of denying yourself that Jesus is talking about here isn't just abstaining from some luxuries. You know, we might kind of talk about, you know, like denying yourself something like I've been offered a second pudding. I think like, I'll I'll deny myself that. You know, I'm trying to keep myself in good shape, deny that deny myself. <laughs> That's not the kind of thing Jesus is talking about. It's much much more extreme than that actually. The the word he uses uh, carries this sense of turning your back on that person or thing. It's repudiating, disowning. It means renouncing. It's like renouncing our supposed right to go our own way. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says you are to deny yourself. And the What he's talking about there is actually turning your back on wanting to go your own way, wanting things how you want them. It's a call. It's a call to turn away from the idolatry of self that we all, without exception, struggle with, and instead to turn to the worship of Christ. Because if Jesus is Lord, that means we can't be. It's exclusive. If Jesus is Lord, if you declare Jesus is the Christ of God, he is king, king over all the earth, king over all of creation, and king over my life, then that means that I can't be. If he is going to be enthroned as he should be, then we must exercise humility and step off the throne of our own lives. And then Jesus says, and daily take up your cross. Which means death, doesn't it? Physical death. Although for some Christians, maybe that comes... It means dying to your old way of living, dying to your preferences and to your selfish agenda, and saying yes to his way instead. When someone takes up their cross, this, it's a one way journey. Okay? When the Romans executed someone on the cross, the, the person who was on their way to be crucified carried the crossbeam on their shoulders to the place of their. Crucifixion. When someone takes up their cross, they're not coming back. And Jesus was saying anyone who wants to follow him must die to their own way of living. We carry on. Because Jesus goes on to explain it further from verse 24. He says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The salvation. Life. Real life. Everlasting life is found in submitting to Christ Jesus as Lord. But if you try to hold on to life on your terms, if you try to hold on to the reins, as Jesus is saying, like if someone wants to save their own life, it's this picture of trying to hold on to it as you want it. Not to take up your cross, but instead to keep going, pleasing yourself, to keep living out your selfish desires instead of seeking to live in obedience to Jesus. If you want to be Lord, then in the end, Jesus says, you will lose everything. Like, I can't pretty this up. It's stuck. Jesus is essentially saying here, what good is it To sit on the throne of your life in the short term, gain all the things that you think you want, status, power, position, possessions, only to end up separate from God. And in being separate from God, being separate from all that is truly good, that would be crazy, wouldn't it? You'd be a fool to do that. being a follower of Jesus then means daily laying down your rights and preferences laying down your desires where they conflict with God's word see when you when you read this <laughs> and it conflicts with what you want to do there should only be one winner it means daily making a conscious and deliberate decision to live under the Lordship of Christ, to examine our lives in the light of Scripture and submit to it, to be ruthless with sin. As we read in Hebrews 12, to to throw off everything that would entangle or hinder, to throw off the sin that so easily entangles that we might run with endurance, the race set before us. That's what Jesus is really talking about here. Then he goes on to give a warning to those who would prefer to try and stay on the throne of their own lives. We read from verse 26, he says, "'For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels.'" Whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him, I'll be ashamed before God, before the Father. In a couple more chapters in Luke 12, we read Jesus kind of restate this same idea, but, but perhaps in even stronger language, he says, whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. That's tough, isn't it? He's saying that when we live for our own comfort or reputation, when we live longing to be liked and approved of by others, then we'll be tempted to deny and be ashamed of Christ and his teaching. So if we don't deny ourselves and take up our cross... If we live for our reputation and our comfort and our pleasure, and we live wanting everyone to approve of us in that, then we will end up ashamed of Christ and his teaching. And we end up denying him ultimately. That's the trajectory. I wonder if you could think of times when you felt ashamed to say that you're a Christian. Times, perhaps, when you know what the Bible teaches on a subject, like, and you know it's, it's clear, it's not like grey or vague. Maybe the fact that it says that actually Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father, that no one comes to the Father except through Him. You know that, but you find yourself in a conversation with someone where you just think, this feels awkward. There are times when you know what the Bible teaches on a subject, but you felt ashamed of owning that because it's maybe ridiculed or even vilified. In the public arena, and you think, I, I just, like, I, if I identify with that, then that has consequences for me, implications for how these people view me. I'm not sure I'm prepared for that. In these moments, we put our cross down, and instead of denying ourselves, we put ourselves back on the throne. As what's happening it stings, doesn't it? We read and understand what Jesus is talking about here. I know it does for me. If I'm honest, like even with my job, sometimes I find this hard. I'll be honest, there are times when I can feel awkward about even telling people what I do. I mean, it can be a real conversation killer for starters. Like sometimes a relationship is over before it's even begun because I'm a church leader. You might think I'm joking. I'm deadly serious. When you get into a conversation with someone, what do you do? I'm in management, in IT. How about you? I'm a church leader. And the look on their face. Oh, all right. That's uh, interesting. (laughs) You can see them begin to look for the nearest exit. Or someone else they know that they can kind of excuse themselves and go and talk to. Because like, that's a bit weird. <laughs> so sometimes I've just tried to avoid it for a while. I could try and talk about other stuff instead. And it won't be the same for you, because none of the rest of you work for churches. But there'll be other things. And my guess, if you're honest, is that you've had similar experiences. Maybe on Monday morning in the office, you remember those things that you used to go to before you all worked at home? The inevitable question comes What did you get up to over the weekend? And you know what you did over the weekend, you were here. But sometimes you don't want to say that because you know where that conversation might lead. You feel awkward about it. Or maybe something comes up in the news that's being talked about in the staff room or around the water cooler or across the desks or wherever it might be. Maybe something's come up in the news about the Christian teaching on marriage or sexuality, for instance. And some people on your team know you go to church and so they ask you, it's in the news what do you you think about that and maybe in that moment you slightly want the ground to swallow you up because you know you believe the Bible teaches but you just don't know how to respond in that moment you want the ground to swallow you up because you want to be liked and accepted and so you just don't want to have to have that conversation So what Jesus says here is challenging, isn't it? What does that mean for us? He says, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory. Oh, okay. What does it mean for us? Because I guess all of us, if we're honest, would admit that we don't always get this right. There are days when we want to sit on the throne of our lives, when we don't feel prepared to pick up our cross, and because of that times when we're ashamed of or deny Christ and his word, maybe in subtle ways, might not be complete like outright everything, but just bits. Does that mean we're not disciples? yes i've got two answers to that and the first really serious the first is it might do actually because if you would call yourself a christian you would say yes jesus is lord but it has no impact in the way you live your life if you actually have no desire to live in a way that pleases him if you have no desire to to please him, to live for his glory instead of your own glory, if you have no desire to be in obedience to him instead of just doing whatever you please, then I would suggest that you're probably not a Christian. In fact, I need to take the probably out of that question, that statement. If you have no desire to please him, to honour him, then you're not a Christian. If you're quite happy living life on your terms with no regard for God's laws and God's commands, then the Bible is actually very clear. You're not saved. Now if that's you, it's not too late. Come to him today. There's grace. There's mercy. If you recognize him as Christ, then I want to Don't ignore that. Don't ignore him. If you recognise him as Christ, then surrender to him. And know that what you'll receive in him so far outweighs what you'll lose. The joy of knowing him and being known by him forever. is So far superior to anything else that anyone could offer. A man called Jim Elliot said so this He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. Like a paraphrase of what Jesus has said in this passage. Don't be a fool today. Huh? Willingly give what you can't keep in order to gain what you can't lose in him. But for others today, I guess probably more of us, you're in the fight. You want to do this, yeah? You want to live in a way that pleases and honours God. That's your desire. I know most of you, and I've had enough conversations and spent enough time with most of you to know that to be the case. But yet you come to this passage and it stings because you know that that doesn't always follow through into action in your life. It's like, I I want to please him, but I, I struggle. You want to submit to him, to take up your cross and follow him. You know you don't always get it right. Well, there's encouragement for you. Because Peter... Remember the gobby one at the start who was the one out of the disciples who piped up and declared who Jesus was? They were all there. They all knew the answer, I'm sure. But it was Peter who shouted out, You're the Christ of God! It's you! That Peter. That Peter who was here when Jesus said this. Who was there when Jesus said in chapter 12, Whoever disowns me before men, I'll disown before the angels in heaven. Is that Peter. Well, that Peter failed in the most dramatic of ways. When the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter ran away with the other disciples. While Jesus was on trial, Peter hid outside and was approached and questioned by people nearby him. Questioned if he was one of Jesus's followers. I think I recognise you. Aren't you? Weren't you with him? Peter denied. Three times he was questioned and Peter denied knowing Jesus, denied being one of Jesus' followers. This man who's just boldly gone, you're the Christ of God. Denied him. But that isn't how Peter's story concludes. After the resurrection, we read in John chapter 21, Jesus came to Peter and asked him, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I do. Jesus asks him three times, Do you love me? See, Jesus takes him back to those three denials, and over three times, he takes him back there and he restores him. Instead of rejecting him, he restores him and he forgives him. And what do we see next of Peter? Restored by Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit, we find him in Acts chapter 2, preaching to the multitudes at Pentecost, boldly proclaiming Christ to the multitudes. No more denial, willing, costly obedience You can know that restoration for yourself today. Maybe as we've read this together and worked through it, you can think of occasions you think, gosh, I know, that's me. Maybe just avoiding things. Maybe you know there are habits, behaviors in your life where actually daily instead of denying yourself and taking up your cross, you are quite happily sitting on the throne. Of your own life, and going just just on this bit, like I could, like maybe we could share the throne. Like I sit on this bit, you sit on this bit, and on like this bit, I just want to do what I want. Maybe you know, I'm kind of making light of it, but it's not actually a joke. Maybe you identify with that. I want to encourage you today. There's forgiveness to be found just as there was for Peter. There's restoration to be found, just as there was for Peter. I want to encourage you today to draw a line in the sand. To say, Lord, tomorrow, I'm going to get up, take up my cross, get off the throne, and follow you. I want to encourage you in that to daily as well ask for his filling to equip you, to enable you to live in obedience to him I wonder if we could stand Rich and Soph are going to come and lead us in one final song but just before we do I want to pray for us and if, if you feel that you want to respond in some way to this today, as you've as we've worked through it, you're thinking yeah I, I know I need to do that <laughs> I, I, I'm not good actually at denying myself and taking up my cross. I want to encourage you to just take a moment now as we come to sing this final song to pray. To say, Lord, will you help me? Will you forgive me? I'm going to pray for us. <laughs>